Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible or open your Bible or turn on your Bible. <laughs> Go to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Today we are in part 7 of our summer series on wisdom. If you haven't been with us, our church is growing, seeking to grow in wisdom this summer. We are doing our, our devotions in wisdom. Our messages are on wisdom. And today I'm actually going to touch upon something. I'm going to start over the next four messages. I'm actually touching into rather controversial territory. But here it is. It's right here in the scriptures. Today I'm going to talk about fathers and manhood. It is something that I'm going to touch upon some subjects which are divisive in our society controversial indeed maybe some of you be offended and angry i hope i hope not too many of you but that may very well happen and i'm just want to put that out at the beginning but these are some of the things that the scriptures teach and one of the reasons why i think they're so divisive and some of you may be offended is because our society is utterly clueless and quite frankly stupid when it comes to these things which is why these words need to be said and why we need to go back to the scriptures and let wisdom come back into our society. And I hope to plant a seed, even though it be a small one, and hopefully an important and powerful one, into your hearts about what wisdom looks like, not only for your life, but to make help make society and community flourish. So today, I have a message called The Importance of Fathers, Manhood, and the Next Generation. And it, we are going to read now from Proverbs chapter 4, Verses 1 through 9. This is the Word of God. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. For those of you who have been with us a number of weeks, you notice how that keeps being said. Don't forget, get this, don't don't lose this, keep coming back. Verse 6, do not forsake her, that is wisdom, and she will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Let me pray for today's uh, message. Lord, this is a hard message, I think, in, in a number of ways for our society and for we as a people and culture. And perhaps for some people today who hear this message, it may even be a painful message, reminding them of their own relationships with their father. And perhaps it may remind them that their father left them or was not a good and wise father, as we talk about, but that we so badly need. That all of us, we need a father who would be wise and who would pour forth forth in us wisdom. 
And ultimately, Lord, uh, we are driven to need a Father such as you. Lord, that we would become a deeper people. We pray that you would raise up men. Men who will not just seek after their own riches or after their own pleasures or after their own glory or after their own pride in their name. Men who will aspire to be worthy fathers. That in fatherhood, there is a profound understanding of what manhood is. And I pray that as I wade into this difficult and controversial topics that you would place on my lips much grace and you would give all those who hear much grace to receive these words and to be blessed by you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I often do, I'm going to speak of this message in three acts. Acts 1, I'm going to talk about fathers to sons. Fathers to sons. Act 2, I'm going to call it the drama toward manhood and womanhood. The drama toward manhood and womanhood. And part 3, grace and sons becoming fathers from their hearts. How grace takes sons to become fathers from the heart. Let me talk about fathers and son. If you have been with us and if you have ever gone through the book of Proverbs, there is something that is so repeated and so almost in the background that you may not notice it. And I want to bring it to your attention today. And that is, this is a book addressed from a father to a son. That the book of wisdom, that the quintessential book of wisdom in the Bible Most often, you can go in this and find all kinds of practical insights, and that's what people often do. They like to read this book. It's incredibly accessible. You don't need deep theologies. Much of this book, especially as you start going toward the latter chapters, it just gives you all these little nuggets. You don't even have to follow arguments. It gives you simple little nuggets that if you follow them, it will bless your life. But... What is often um, overlooked and barely ever seen, I've I've, I've barely heard anyone remarked upon this book, is that it is really fundamentally a book about a father to a son, a wise father speaking to a son. And over, I've been meditating on this book for quite some time now, and one of the things I'm convinced what it is, it's essentially a manual that teaches men how to be dads. And if men were to become dads, Fathers, then what it will do is it will produce power and wisdom into a whole society. Many people go into the book of Proverbs looking for practical advice from me. And I hope that you do that. And that it will work for you if you do that. But actually, it's much more than that. What it is, it's a whole vision of how a society can become deep. It is a whole vision for how a people can become wise and whole. And one fundamental key to that is, well, we need, we need dads. We need good dads. We need not just people, we need, we don't need just boys. We don't even need just guys who will work. What we need are fathers. Men who are committed to their children. Men who look at who they are to say, I'm, I can't just be a guy who makes money and thus I have, I have my manhood. Other guys think I'm, I'm all full grown and I have muscles and thus I'm a man. I, I have girls and girls like me and thus I'm a man. I'm successful in my career and thus I'm a man. Actually, right here in this book is a secret of manhood. 
And you know what it is? The secret of manhood is to become a father. To become a father that is worthy to pour forth wisdom into a next generation. And if you do that, you will utterly help. You are putting something into your society. You're not just doing something for you. You're not just doing something for your children. You are doing something and pouring forth tremendous blessing and power and wisdom into the whole of your society. That's what you're doing. That's the drama. Let me, let me just give you a little feel for this. I know that in our society, we tend to look at any kinds of practical wisdom. And there's, there's all kinds, I mean, there's so much, I know there's so much I want to say to you today, and I just have to be careful. I have to hold back and save some of it for next week. But we, we look at some of these things that's said in this, in this book. And as soon as it talks about a father to a son, the temptation is immediately to just look, because I'm an individual, okay, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even a woman, and so, and I'm not going to be a father because I'm a woman. Some of you may be men, and you're like, I'm, I don't want even to have children. I don't even know if I'm ever going to have children, so I don't even know if I, so is this message even relevant to me? Well, let me just make a, a couple points to you. How does wisdom get into our society? How does wisdom come into our heart? The Bible's contention is simply this. It comes, from a, it comes from one who is above you, one whom you trust, one whom is your head, who is your father. And once he pours, not just words, but his life, all that he is, and it comes through his words, by the way, into you, this is how wisdom comes into you. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just if I know this, and if I just know this, and if I have these little pieces of insight, then I'll go out into the world and I'll be wise. I'll know how to do things. That's not how it works. Repeatedly, repeatedly, throughout this book, there is a constant refrain that there is a particular heart and a character that must form be inside of people. And the fundamental movement that the Bible talks about is from the father to the son. Now, let me just, now I know that some of you are going, I don't like this, I don't like this. A lot of you women are probably always saying, I don't know if I like this. Now, let me just, just, before you get really angry, hold on. Okay, just hold on before you want to throw things at me. Give me a certain finger. Okay? Um, so let me just point out, just first let me just establish how scriptural this is. Just go to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 8. Hear my son. Who is the book addressed to? It's addressed to sons. The book is flat addressed to men. Hear my son. Your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Go to chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, blah, 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 and then these good things will happen to you. Chapter 3. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart, not let your head... Not let your school work. Not just let things spit out. Let me just say a little something about this. Every now and then I say things to my son. And he's heard me say them to him before. And he, you know what he says to me? I know, I know, I know, I know. And after a while, I had to just start yelling at him and say, Stop saying that to me. You don't know. You don't know. Just because you heard it and it went to your head doesn't mean you know. Just by the sheer fact I have to say these things to you again and you're not actually doing it. I say things to you like, if you really care about these things, you'll run this way. 
you will actually take care of this before I even yell at you. You will actually start work on this. Then I'll know you have it. You don't have it. So stop telling me you know and have to, I have to yell at him. And I have to, you know what I have to, how many times I have to yell at him say, stop saying you know? I had to say that at least a dozen times before he finally shut up. <laughs> actually, you know when he really stopped? Is when I took him through Proverbs. We went through the book of Proverbs in my homeschooling this year, and when I say, this movement has to come, it has to come into your heart. It has to go into your heart. Stop saying you know. And then he stopped saying it. And he realized, and I says, you actually need to be told. You notice how, how many times the Bible says it? Chapter 4. Let's go to chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Let me just say a couple things. <laughs> I, I'm, my son is kind of thick-headed. Let me just say all of you, all men are thick-headed. Ladies, you know that's true, right? <laughs> Absolutely it's true. Men are stubborn. Men don't listen. And the Bible knows that. And fathers have to say things again and again and again. Now let me say a second point. I'm talking about manhood. I'm talking about fathers. I know a lot of you ladies are going, why does this message have to go to me? If you really want your society to flourish, if you want your children to flourish, you'll very much care that the man that you marry or the man that you are married to becomes a certain kind of man. This may offend you, but ladies, you can't turn your children into beautiful people until, unless you unleash the power that's in your man to become this kind of man. There is a power that comes from man to his children, both to his son and his daughter, that can only come from the father. And I'm going to go into the subject, I'm going to say more about the subject next week. It's called headship. Our society is utterly lost on the subject of headship. The Bible is absolutely adamant about headship. There is the, the, the mom and the dad do not have equal power to shape their children. It's just simply not the case. If you look at all the sociological literature today, it is simply not true. I can give you that case from the Bible. Some of you don't necessarily believe it from the Bible. Then trust the science. If you look at all the sociological literature today, the vast majority of it will show you this is true. What comes from the dad and what comes from the mom is not the same. And if human beings will ever flourish, you need both. And if human beings will ever flourish, you especially need particularly the voice of the Father. Actually, let me just give you, and I, I, I can't get into all the science, and if I want to do this, this, would, this sermon would just go on and on, right? Even if I'm already just giving a little bit. But the, the, the social sciences actually show you this, that when the child is very young, mom tends to be super important. It's the mom, the nurturing of the mom, the heart of the mom, the home shaping of the mom, the security of the utter, of the other, of the utter care that moms tend to give that dads are usually not very good at, which is super crucial to children when they're young. But when children grow older and they start to go pressed into the world and they start to test the world and they start to figure out who am I? What do I believe? What matters? And they start to understand character for, and, and, and their character starts to get formed and they begin to test dangers in the world. That's when the voice of dad is super crucial. And so many times you can see this. Let me just give you just one example of this in our society. There's so many examples of this in our society. Let me just give you one example of this that I see regularly. 
If you ever watch professional sports, I am a big fan of ESPN. If you ever watch professional sports, some of the greatest athletes in our society, they all love their moms. They all love their mommies. You know why? Especially like in basketball, and especially kids who came out of the inner city. They all love their moms because their moms were faithful. Their moms stuck around. Their moms sacrificed tremendously to help them be able to have a life. But you notice so many of these young men who are fantastic basketball players, they're some of the greatest in their field. They're, they're absolutely failures when it comes to marriage. Their own children are utterly, their own children are utterly morally chaotic and lost. And a lot of these men then, then themselves are lost. They end up in drugs, they end up in prison. They end up being bounced out of their sport because they can, they're failing in their inner character. A lot of it is because they didn't have a dad. So many of them is because they didn't have a dad. Let me just challenge you to do this. If you, it's just even a doubt. I'm just giving just one among thousands of pieces of evidence and data. The next time you see an athlete and you look at him and you're saying, he's not just a superstar in his sport, but he is the kind of man that I would like my young son to become like, Go just look at any athlete in any sport. I would like my son to become like him as a man. I just want you to then just do one other piece of data. See if he had a good dad. I'll bet you 9 out of 10 times, maybe 99 out of 100 times he did. This is how important this is. Let me give you a, another, another particularly tragic example. Last week, our church spent... Uh, our tr- we sent the team out there into uh, an Indian reservation called Bishop. If you've ever been to Bishop, you're going to find you. At first, it's just at first it, it seems is a glorious and beautiful place. You wake up and you see the Sierra Nevada to your on one side. It's it's incredible. You turn around to the other side. There's a, another beautiful set of hills. There is rock climbing. There is hiking. There's Mono Lake not far away. It is an absolutely gorgeous place. And when you meet young Native American Paiutes, they just seem like normal, regular kids. But then they start telling you about what's normal in their life. The vast majority of them do not have a dad. If they have a dad, their dad is a deadbeat. Their dad is in prison. Their dad is not raising them. Their dad never says words to them like this. Men, if you ever want your sons to grow up and thrive, and then if you want your grandchildren to grow up and thrive, say these words to your sons. You should just read this book. Practice saying these words to your sons, or, and then practice saying them in the way you would want to say them in your own words. This is the way I parent my children. I say these things to them, except I don't say it exactly in the same words that the Bible says them. But I, I say it, I go, this is what the Bible says, and now I'm going to say it so that the wisdom which comes from God the Father flows out of the man who is their father and goes into their lives. But if you go into bishop, they don't have this. You go into a fatherless world, and this is what you see. The men, most of them don't work. A lot of them are in prison. Right when they get to their teenage years, a lot of the children will follow their parents and follow their teachers. But as soon as they get into their teenage years, just like I said, as they start to test the limits and dangers of the world. You know where most of these kids end up? Most of these kids up kids end up drunk, doing crystal meth, dropping out of school, 
There is te- rampant teenage pregnancy. We got to do a, 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 a seminar for the youths of the reservation. And, of course, I don't get to preach the gospel. They, the reservation allowed us a church group and me, a pastor, to teach a seminar. The topic they allowed us to address was relationships. Why do they allow us to address that topic? Because teenage pregnancy is rampant on this place. Fatherlessness is rampant. It is a world of fatherlessness. Let me just give you two little pictures of Bishop. I shared this on Friday night, but I want to share this to you since many of you didn't get to hear this. I taught this relationship seminar. Now, obviously, I didn't preach... I didn't preach the gospel because I can't teach them about God, but I taught them straight out of Proverbs 5 because it's about relationships. I'm going to preach on Proverbs 5 in a a couple weeks. And I said, you don't have to believe in God. You you, you can compare nothing about Christianity, but this will have power to you. And I talked about some of the things I'm going to talk about today. But there's a portion in in when I preach, I mean, well, I guess it was like preaching. I, I can't shouldn't call it preaching, right? When I was teaching on relationships, I mentioned that I take my children out on daddy dates. Now this room is full of about thirty or some odd Indian, um, Native American youths from about ages fourteen to twenty-two. Most of them probably have this fatherless issue. When I mentioned that I take my children on daddy dates, I noticed this. This was really interesting. Every single girl in the room, they had their eyes locked on me. And when I mentioned that I take my children on daddy dates, a lot of them had this look of like wonder and awe. Like, wow, that's an amazing thing. Not only are you a dad, but you actually take your children out on daddy dates. I could tell that was a piece of wonder to them. I'll give you a second little glimpse of what a fatherless world looks like. Besides all the rampant chaos, well, let me just give you another piece of this. We've been going out to Bishop every year. Something happens toward the end of the trip every year. The, f- the few Indian kids that we've particularly reached and that we've been able to love and that love us back, the day before we say goodbye to them, you can begin to visibly see them become tremendously sad. Visibly all the love, the protection, the wisdom, the righteousness, the humility. They come into the setting. And one of the reasons, I'm convinced one of the reasons why they like coming and being around this, some of them don't always fully accept Jesus, is because there are all these people around them and they treat them like sons and daughters. They love Frank. They love JW. They love Joe. They love some of our KM men. They even love me, and I'm not even always that lovey-dovey. <laughs> and you can see them visibly becoming sad. I mean, one of the, the, the boys that we love, that the one that we gave, who gave a testimony on, that we, whose testimony we shared on Friday, he started getting sad. We left on Monday morning. He started visibly becoming sad on Sunday morning. Not even Sunday night. He had a whole day left with us. He spent half that day being torn up in his heart. And I'm convinced it's because this protective, righteous love, it's missing. If you go into a world without fathers, 
Let me just say one other thing before I go to part two of my message. Bishop is a picture of the future. Bishop is a place when there's 90 plus percent fatherlessness. Our society is 50 plus percent fatherless. 50 percent or so people have come from broken homes. Maybe not all of them feel there are many men who have been divorced who heroically try to love their children. But they already know they're fighting an uphill battle. Divorce is pushing 50%. And then, and the reason I say it's 50 plus percent, because there's many men who are married, who may be fathers in name, but they're not fathers like the way the Bible calls us to be fathers. So just because there are many people who are fathers in names doesn't mean that they're real fathers. That they're real men who love their children and who pour forth wisdom because that's really the acid test of being a father. Will you be faithful? Will you provide? Will you protect? And then will you hand on something worthy from your heart into the hearts of your children? That's the acid test of a father. Will you do that? There's not nearly enough men who will do that. That's part one of my mess. Let me talk about part two. Manhood and womanhood. There are a number of you uh, ladies who wonder, gosh, this is really relevant to the men. And I hope a lot of you guys are like, oh. it is very relevant to the men. Absolutely, it's obviously very relevant. Some of you who are single, I'm not a dad yet. This is relevant to me. It absolutely better be relevant to you. You want to be a worthy man? Even if you don't have children, this is the kind of man we should all aspire to be. The kind of man that to those who are younger than us, to another generation, that you will pour forth words from your heart and they will see a character inside of you that's worthy. But let me say something that's very important today. This presentation from the Bible, how wisdom flows from fathers to sons, this isn't just something about masculinity. It actually is very... It forms women too. Part two, I'm talking about manhood and womanhood. The wisdom from fathers to sons doesn't just form sons. It forms women too. Now let me say a little something. Our society absolutely believes in a kind of radical egalitarianism. Egalitarianism means equality. The Bible believes in equality of worth between men and women. In our society, they don't we, we increasingly do not believe in equality of worth between men and women, which is why we have the war between the sexes. Our society believes that the only way you can have equality between men and women is they have equality in power. They have equality in power. That's the only kind of equality our society really understands. Because we don't really believe that unless there's a God above us who gets to say, this is what you're worth, the only kind of, if you take God out of it, the only kind of worth that we understand is, well, how can we be equal if that guy has more power? How can we be equal if the father has more authority than the mother? Then they're not equal, right? Because we think there's equality only in power. But actually the Bible's equality is far deeper than that. It's equality in worth. Let me make a few points about this, especially maybe to some of you, not only to ladies who may be offended by this. If you rub out the difference, equality in power means, therefore, all men and women have to be treated the same. 
What we think is to treat all men and women the same means essentially to treat men and women as if they're not really different. That's what's happening in our society. That they're not deep different in their mind, they're not different in their hearts, and that their formation of who they're going to become and how our society is going to flourish, that has, that has to be treated differently. And that has to be approached differently. The worth is utterly equal, but the approach is different because men and women, there's a deep, mysterious difference. Our society does not respect this. And what happens in our society, since all boys and girls have to be treated the same, because that's what equality is, you know what happens? Our boys and girls are lost. Our boys and girls don't know how to become worthy men and worthy women. They don't know how to grow up and understand that there's a certain character of being a man and how you treat women and how you treat children. There's a certain character of how to be a woman and in the power of her femininity, she will be able to encourage other women and men that difference has to be placed in. And the Bible doesn't say we have to go... There's a lot of wars that the Bible has toward women, but in the book of wisdom, the Bible absolutely targets the men. The Bible targets the men. The the Bible targets sons. If the fathers will treat their sons a certain way and call them to be grow forth a certain way, here, let me say, say this to you. The women will rise up and become more beautiful and godly and humble women. This is what happens. But if you treat them exactly the same, you know what happens? The natural selfishness and self-righteousness and self-assertion of all human beings when you only see yourself as an individual, the me, me, me of the individuality comes out. Not the, how will I be and offer up myself as, as a form of blessing into my community? Because this is really ultimately what human community is. Human community is a way of being human in two different forms into one beautiful unity. That's the way it's always meant to be. Male and female into one beautiful unity. And until men are called to be fathers and pass on a beauty of masculinity to their sons, then you know what happens? The women will not follow. The women will not be captured by that beauty. I read a book. Um, I read a book about how this type of teaching is being reasserted back into many churches. It's been forgotten. One of the most famous teachers of this teaching is John Piper. He teaches at, uh, he's the main pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church. This guy who wrote this book was going around to all these churches of, who does Christ-centered preaching, and one of the key points of Christ-centered preaching is a portion of the Bible that is called complementarianism. I said to you that our, that our society believes in radical egalitarianism and too much of the church is bought into that spirit. But if you read throughout the whole Bible, the Bible respects male and female. And the Bible calls forth men to be a certain way and women to be a certain way and particularly men to grow and aspire to be fathers, worthy fathers. And the term for that is not that men are greater than women because that's nonsense. Is that we are intended to become come into a beautiful complement, complementary relationship. This view of the Bible is called complementarianism. That's what's biblically taught. One of the best teachers of complementarianism is John Piper. This guy who wrote this book went around to all these churches. He went to John Piper's church. 
And then he asks a lot of young ladies, so at this church, they flat out call men to be worthy fathers. They flat out teach complementarianism. How do you feel about that? Isn't that kind of offensive to you? Doesn't that make you feel like you're second class? This guy, this reporter who wrote this book asked the women at, at, um, at Bethlehem Baptist Church's question. You know what the answer was? She said, sometimes it's not always fun to listen to that message, but I'll tell you what, it sure is a heck a lot easier to receive that message when you're in this church. You know why? Because the men in this church are great. Because the men in this church are worthy. That was the, mess- that was the response. You know when I said that thing about daddy date? I think one of the reasons why a lot of the women, one of those young women looked at me with that look of kind of stunned, longing and awe is because that's the kind of man they want in their life. Ladies, you want your children to grow up a certain way. You want your children to grow up a certain way. Your daughters need their dad to be this type of man. Your daughters will flourish as women when your husband is this type of man. And all of you who are men, who are already fathers, if you're not this type of man, and you haven't thought about this, I'm just a parent. Many of you, if you, if you look at your parenting in pure egalitarian fashion, I do 50% of the work, she does 50% of the work, which is not true, by the way. <laughs> Oftentimes, I do this and she does this, she does this and I do this, and there's a lot of couples that fight over the 50-50 of the work. That's not the way it works. You, you're, you're gonna, you're, you're, you are not going to do well for your children if that's the way you look at it. Your man has to look at this as I'm the father and nobody else can replace me. Not my wife, nobody. I am called by God and I have to be this person and I have to love my children and I have to give them these words with conviction from my heart. Only I can do this and then they will flourish. Now I'll just give you one example of this. I want to give you one example of this. Because we all need examples right? before I move on to the last portion of my message. Right? I try to do this, and I'm, I'm going to just offer you as an example, not because I'm the greatest father, because I'm certainly not. I'm probably maybe a B minus dad or a C plus dad. I'm a B minus dad when I'm going really good. Probably usually about a C dad and maybe a C plus dad. Some of you are going like, Pastor Sisong, you're a pretty good dad. I'm just a good dad relative to the population. I'm above average. But let me tell you something. That's damning with faint praise because the average in our society is terrible. <laughs> so since the average in our society is terrible, you're probably looking at me like, he's a pretty good dad. <laughs> I, I think according to the Bible, I'm about a C dad. This is the real standard. Let me just give you a little picture of how I've been trying to practice this. Ever since my children were born, I've known that they will not have power as human beings. They won't have wisdom and depth, both my son and my daughter, if I will not be the dad. Full of conviction and wisdom from the Scripture and God dwelling in my heart and offer that to them through my person. Not through my ideas, not through my money, through my person, who I am. 
And I absolutely believe my children must get a big dose of me. And if the Lord's wisdom and His presence and His grace is in me, it will go into them. And over the years I realized there's this, there's this famous book called The Five Love Languages. I've realized that my wife and I, we practice all five love languages. Let me call you men. You must practice all five love languages. You'll be better at some than the other. You're probably good at one or two of them and terrible at the other two. But we practice all five. Hopefully you can remember them. It's affection, quality time, words of affirmation, gift giving, and and acts of service. Asians are very good at acts of service. We're terrible at words of affirmation. Asian American dads, you probably suck at words of affirmation. Learn to look right into your child's eye and say, you are good at this, son. I'm proud of you. Daughter, my beloved little girl, you are so beautiful. And when you go after this and or this way, you are so wonderful and there's nobody like you to me. Practice all five. But here's another thing. The Bible also teaches that men crave respect. Ladies, if you want your man to feel loved, learn to respect him. Women long to be cherished. So when I look at my daughters, I don't love them quite the way I love my son. Let me just give you one little practice that I do. This is just the way I do it. It's just kind of my personality. Ever since they were little, when they were born, they were just the most beautiful thing to me. And my daughters, I knew that all of their life, they need to know, not in their head. I know my dad, many of you girls, you know, you had a dad, and he worked really hard, but he, he never, you never felt that he cherished you. My wife and I were, were particularly good at physical affection. I think that's one of our love languages. I'm very big on physical affection. And I especially feel that my daughters need that physical affection. I think to plant a kiss on my daughter's face once, twice, ten times a day is the minimum, quite frankly. When they were babies, I picked them up and I would sing this song, you're the lower girl that I love. I love you so much. But here's one of the things I do. Every now and then, my, this, so I'm just giving you a little picture. This is just how I do it. Okay? You don't have to do it exactly this way, but just a picture. Every now and then, my little Elizabeth, she'll say something to me. And she says kind of nonsensical things. Blah, blah, blah. Yesterday I was doing this. And would you get me this little toy? And this little toy is really cool to me. And it's like, and, and honestly, after about the third sentence, I'm getting bored. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I listen to her, and I kind of pretend like I'm interested. <laughs> and then I go, and, and, and that's really interesting, Elizabeth. And now let's do something important. It's very important to give your dad a popo. <laughs> a popo is a Korean word for a kiss. That's really important. And then she just goes, oh. <laughs> so just come. And so while she's there going, blah, 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 all I'm thinking is, I'm going to get a kiss out of this. <laughs> if I have to endure this boring little talk. <laughs> 
So what I do is I pour forth what I call my biblical propaganda. <laughs> you know what propaganda is? It's all the words that get poured into your mind repeatedly again and again and again and then after a while you start believing in it. But propaganda usually has the idea that it's not true. But actually, biblical propaganda is absolutely true. I have poured forth biblical propaganda. There's one other little thing I say to my Elizabeth. I say this to her. Every now and then she comes to me and she's upset or unhappy about something. And I'll say, you know, you know what will help you? <laughs> this will help you. If you give me a bubble, <laughs> it'll help you. And she'll go, that doesn't help. She's really like mad about something and she'll, ah! she's whiny. And I just sit there and I know it's one of those things that you can't give an answer to. So I just go, what I'll do here is give her myself. That's what I think. What I'm going to do is, I'm not going to give her an answer because I can't give her an answer. I can't solve this problem that's really making her upset. So what I'm just going to do is just give her me because I'm her dad. And if I give her me as her dad, it'll help her. That's what the Bible teaches. So I said, this will help you if you give me a bubble. And you know what she said? She, she used to say, it doesn't help. I was like, it totally helps. You just don't get it. Because you're dumb. You don't know. <laughs> and she, and we, we'd, have, we'd have this, we, we, and I would say it, and then she, and she, sometimes she gives me the kiss. Sometimes she doesn't. And then I'd say it again. I, you know how many times I've had this conversation with her? I've had it, I don't know, maybe hundreds of times. And you know how many times she said to me, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. She said it many, many times to me. And so recently I started saying, it helps because I have powers. <laughs> you know what she said to me? You don't got powers. <laughs> I'm going, I, I have powers. And after saying that I have powers out about, you know, 20 times, she starts saying, you're lying. Ooh. <laughs> you lie. You don't have powers. I was like, Ooh, this, she, this girl's an unbeliever. <laughs> I was like, whoa, unbeliever here. I looked at her and I said, so I said, okay, finally I have to explain the biblical. I said, I, Daddy has powers. It comes from God. God places a love inside my heart. And if you give me a little kiss, that power of love that will come from, only from me, you get a little bit of that inside your heart. And every time I get a little bit of that inside your heart, it'll help you. She looked at me like this. <laughs> and then she goes, that's not from you. That's not your power. That's from God. So she's not an unbeliever that comes from God. I said, it is from God, but it only comes from me. <laughs> it's the only way you get it. And then she went, hmm. Look, you think these things are cute? I don't think it's cute. I, of course she's being cute. This is my little ironic way of like kind of making fun of her, kind of mocking her, <laughs> uh, kind of making fun of her ignorance and obeying the Lord, practicing the wisdom. Now let me go to the third part of my message. I can say this cute story to you and I could 
yell at you and I could tell you all the tragic stuff about Bishop. Men, you need God to make you this kind of man. And ladies, you need to hear from the Lord so that you can be the kind of woman to help your man become this kind of man. Ladies, your man's never going to become this kind of man unless you help him. It takes women to help men be a father's. And most of all, the greatest helper there ever is, it is, is the Lord Jesus. Let me show you a verse from this passage. Go to chapter 4, verse 9. I love this verse. The Father says, let's just go to verse 8. Prize her highly, that is wisdom, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. A garland of grace. You know how men become sons who become fathers who are full of wisdom? It's by grace. Wisdom points you to a grace. The central drama of Christianity is this. Some people are very cynical. They think a religion came along and saw, well, you know, who's the person that really loves their kids the most? Fathers. So then let's form God after this being called the Father. That's complete nonsense, by the way, because if you go to culture after culture after culture, many cultures, the ones who love their children the most are not the fathers. In many cultures, it's fathers who abuse their children, who beat their children, who sell off their children, who even murder their children. The reason why fathers are called to be this way and when fathers are at their best, it's because God is a father. The power of men to become fathers, and that's where the wisdom comes from, is because wisdom comes from God. And God chooses the conduit of men who are like Him. Who are like Him to produce power into sons and daughters and produce the beautiful community. And people can never become like God and fathers like God until Jesus places wisdom inside of us. Until it happens by grace. Let me close this way. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's toward the end of the Bible. If you're, let, me just get, let me just read it. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy is a, manhood, is a manhood manual to me. It's how Paul called forth Timothy to become a man worthy to lead other men in the church. It's a manhood manual. And here's what he said. First he says, don't try to get all rich, because that's what everybody wants. But then he says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, one who will become a man, flee these things as just trying to be rich. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. Righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, and here's the last one, gentleness. That's a picture of Jesus. In our very first year, we used to have this men's ministry. When I, my first year coming to this church, we used to have this men's ministry. 
And our brother Doak, we were looking at this verse, and he said, Susong and I aren't really good at the gentleness thing. But it's got to be all of it. That last verse tells me it's only from Jesus. Jesus has all of those things. And it's His heart that will take you to the Father. And it's His grace that will put this in your heart. Whether you're 12 or 16 or 26 or 36 or 46 or more. Ladies, go to Jesus and help your men become this way. Men, call forth to Jesus who will take you to the Father and make you a father. It will bless your you, your wife, your children, the whole of your society. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I talked about a lot of things. But I pray that the things that matter and to the men and women who hear this message, would you pierce our hearts with the words that have to to be retained. That you would be our ultimate Father and speak to all the sons in this room and in hearing this message. To all your daughters, to call them forth. To seek men like this if they're not married yet. And if they're married, to seek that their man would become a man like this and pray for their man. And we pray that you would place the heart of Jesus in us. He who takes us to the Father. And that he would place a garland of grace on our heads. And so the children would flourish. And the next generation would not just learn, not just have money and not just have a protected place. The women, the girls would learn womanhood. The boys would learn manhood. And they would learn the most worthy of manhoods. Wise fathers. Jesus, only you can do this. To strip us of our pride, of our anger, of our selfishness, of our self-seeking. And to pour ourselves forth with the garland of grace on us. Would you do this to us, Lord Jesus, us men in this room? In Jesus' name, amen.